Let us pray and ask the Lord to bless our teaching from God's Word. Let us pray. O God and our Father, please give us understanding of your Word by the work of your Spirit, that the words of my mouth and the meditations of all our hearts be acceptable in your sight, our Lord and nearest kinsman Redeemer, Jesus Christ. Amen. So here we are today concluding our study in the book of Ephesians. Our focus during this last uh, portion of the season of Pentecost has been to study what it means to be the church. And we've looked to Paul's letter to the Ephesian church for that direction. I want to remind us of a few things as it prepares us for the conclusion. We frequently need to think and look back and look ahead in, a, in a, a portion of Scripture to understand it. But as we come to the very close of it, I want to encourage us all to keep a few points in mind as we look at the conclusion today. So, first of all, everyone who confesses Christ and recognizes the Lordship of Christ and strives to obey His Word are the saints of God. There are no more degrees of separation the work of Christ Jesus erases all of that. Everyone in this room and the saints across the world have been all made alive together. We have been raised up together. Ephesians 3 ends with the strength of praise to accomplish His glory in the church to all generations unto eternity. We are reminded that there is one body and one spirit and just as you, and that should read like you all, were called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God, and Father of all, who is above all and through all, and in you all, or y'all. God gives gifts to all his people. We're going to talk a little bit about the, the, the most, or the preeminent gift. But Jesus gives us the secure victory. And we must be servants of all like Christ Jesus. And when God gives his gifts, and we're going to talk about this further today, part of it is he gives himself to us. And here's the more shaky part. He gives each one of us to each other. What kind of gift are you? I know that's a long silence. In Christ Jesus, when we strive to be servants of all like Christ Jesus, then we are good gifts to one another. It is important for us to recognize that we're a gift that sticks around. That sort of gift that always keeps giving. Why? Because we are inseparable because of God's sovereign work in Christ in us. And we are all raised together as co-regents, when we try to do things and work things out in ourselves, it doesn't work out because of the futility of our minds. As it says in Ephesians 4.17, but in verse 23 of Ephesians 4, it reminds us that we are to have our minds renewed by Christ Jesus. And we need to see that the life of the church is to be filled, as it says in Ephesians 5.19, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody 
in your heart to the Lord. Now we're coming up to a time of the year where it's easy to sing. Generally speaking, we're not a singing people anymore. But because we all know the liturgy of Christmas hymns, we have a tendency to hum along and sing more during the Christmas and Advent season. And I want to encourage you that we as the people of God must be a singing people. Amen. <laughs> we should be singing. Okay? And we should be singing what? Psalms. And it says hymns and spiritual songs. You could almost look at this and see that it says psalms, psalms, and psalms. Sing the word of God. It is the way to bring glory to his name. But we should sing and making melody in our heart, but speaking to one another in psalms. When we reflect on God's righteousness and goodness and truth that he has called us to bring to the world, we are defeating the enemy in the mundane, as we talked about last week. And I say that because, and, and, and just to clarify, especially for you younger kids in the room, the mundane is just the normal stuff you do every day. You get up, you clean your room, you listen to your parents. Parents, you parent children. You love your wife. It's about the relationships and the things that you're doing in the world. You do all of those things to the glory of God. You do all of these things. And in that way, when we relate to one another, when we relate to one another as Christ relates to us, we bring righteousness, goodness, and truth to each other, and we defeat the enemy. We are called to cultivate the motivations of love and affection in those who are our subordinates. You see, it's God who gives all of you your role of authority in whatever area of life that you're in. And you and I are called to cultivate the motivations of love and affection in those to whom we are over, just as Christ does for us, the church. We are to do all of this, submitting to one another in the fear of God. Now here's the harder part. Subordinates are to be obedient to those who are our superiors with fear and trembling, insincerity of heart. We get caught up. There's injustice in those that, that are over me. And we become caught up in this and we say, so I have a right to exact my own vengeance against them. I have a right to act a certain way towards them. Instead, God's word tells us that with fear and trembling and sincerity of heart that we should do all things for Christ and not for men. People of God, the world is transformed and the enemies of God are defeated in worship every Lord's Day and in all of the average things you do in obedience to God's word in our relationships with one another every single day. I mentioned this in Sunday school this morning, that think about the transformation that occurs in all of the relationships that you have if when you sin against your employer or the guy in the cubicle next to you or your next door neighbor or someone in your house, when you sin against them, you confess your sin, you ask for forgiveness, you find...
forgiveness. Your relationships are restored. Even if they don't understand it, they will recognize that this is different. And this, in fact, is what transforms the world. We start with worship, and we go out and we follow the pattern that God gave us. And this is what defeats the enemy. Let us hear God's words from the the end of the book of Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 6. Verses 10 through 24, hear the words of God. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of darkness of this age, against the spiritual hosts of wickedness in heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day And having done all to stand, stand, therefore, having girded your waist with truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace, above all, taking the shield of faith with which you will be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one, and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, praying always, with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, being watchful to this end with all perseverance and supplication for all the saints. For who? All the saints. Oh, and also for me, that utterance may be given to me, that I may open my mouth boldly to make known the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains, that in it I may speak boldly as I ought to speak but that you also may know my affairs and how I am doing. Tychius, a beloved brother and faithful minister in the Lord, will make all things known to you, whom I have sent to you for this very purpose, that you may know our affairs and that he may comfort your hearts. Peace to the brethren and love with faith from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace be with all those who love our Lord Jesus Christ in sincerity. And he concludes with amen. So we see in this passage the conclusion of the book, the conclusion of all things. And if we consider what he has written to the people, one people, working together to bring glory to God, he finally says, guess what? Here is where the battle is, and here is what you do. We have come to the final study in our series We see in verse 10, Finally, brethren, be strong in the Lord and the power of His might. This is the setup for the conclusion. We, in this series, have been studying what it means to be the people of God, the church. Here we look at God's instruction as we consider all the doctrines and truth that inform our actions. God wants us to see that our Christian duty for unity and purity is complicated by those who oppose Jesus. I didn't say defeated, I said complicated. Who are these that oppose Jesus? First, we know that it's Satan. And then it is men of power and influence who follow their own idols. There's a great lie that surrounds the Christian church. That lie is that Christians have no enemies. 
One of the easiest ways to defeat an army is to make them think they have no enemies. You can surround them. You can undermine them. People of God, we have enemies. It is important for us to recognize that the gospel stands opposed by Satan and by those who want to control all things and all men. But this is not new. This conflict has been going on since the very beginning. If you look in Genesis chapter 3, it says this, And I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your seed and her seed, and he shall bruise, that is, your, your head. And that word bruise there is to crush, to gape upon. And you shall bruise his heel. In other words, Satan's going to have, he can bruise the heel, but Christ, when he comes, is going to crush the head of Satan and all those that oppose God. Our deliverance from sin and death by God's design from the beginning would be with conflict. Consider Psalm 2. Why do the nations rage and the people plot a vain thing? The kings of earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel, counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed. Now, when we say this in the place of church, we think to ourselves, those guys are absurd in their thinking. They've all gotten together and they're plotting against God Almighty. And when you say that out loud, it sounds utterly ridiculous. But when we follow our own idols, that's in fact what happens. And, and even more so in the text of Psalm 2, you can also see where it says that they said, let us cast off the, the bonds. They already know that they're under God, and they say, oh, by our own might, our own way of thinking, our own way of solving all the world's problems and our guilt and regret and all these things, we're going to set up our own tower. We can break off, break away from being under the power of God. God responds in Psalm 2, verse 6, Yet I have set, by the way, he laughs, and then he says, I have set my king on my holy hill of Zion. Even though they plot, they're the kings of the earth, and they're raging against God, God, God says, huh, I've already set my king on my holy hill. Then God speaks to the Son in verse 8, Ask of me, he's speaking to Jesus Christ, and I will give you what? The nations for your inheritance, and the ends of the earth for your possession. And the lesson in all this Listen up. Kiss the son. Recognize that he is king, like kissing the signet ring. Lest he be angry and you perish in the way when his wrath is kindled but a little. So basically he's saying, repent while you have the chance. I heard recently a theologian say, whatever doesn't kill you gives you a chance to repent. So while God's wrath is kindled but a little, repent. And then it says, blessed are all those who put their trust in him. You see, you no longer say, I'm putting my trust in myself. You say, I'm putting my trust in God for my salvation, for the forgiveness of my sins, for helping me with all of the things and challenges that I have to deal with in my life. We also see that the victory is in Christ Jesus in Colossians 2. Verse 14, beginning in the, the second half of the verse, and it says, And he, that is Jesus, has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross. That is, all of the 
the, the difficulties with trying to live up to the law. And having disarmed the principalities and powers, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them. Now this is important. When Christ died on the cross, he paid for our sins. And those that were raging against them, those are principalities and powers that were pushing back against God and sending his son to redeem the world. And he disarmed them. And he made a public spectacle of them. And he triumphed over them. We also see that this power of his might that we see in this verse is connected in Ephesians 1. Consider Ephesians 1.19. And what is the exceeding greatness of his power towards us who believe according to the working of his mighty power which he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in heavenly places, far above what? All principality and power and might and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this age, not only in the time that this letter is written, but also in, in the age that is to come. And he put, God put all things under his feet, Jesus' feet, and gave him to be head over all things to who? The church which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. The same power that raised Jesus from the dead is in mind in this passage in Ephesians chapter 6. The power spoken of here seated Jesus at his ascension at the Father's right hand far above all the principalities. And what is this word principalities? A lot of times I grew up in the way of thinking, oh, it's all these demons and there's all this. It's like, you know, we're down here. God's up in heaven, and there are all these demons blocking the way. That's not what this is. It's the first place of someone ruling in the magistrate or the magistrate, the civil world, those that are kings and leaders. This word power, this is about authority and jurisdiction. Who has jurisdiction in the world? Jesus Christ, all things in heaven and on earth. All authority has been given to him for this. This word might, this is the power and influence which belongs to those with riches and wealth. For many, many years we've heard that, how do you solve a problem? We've got a problem in our country, what do we do? We've got to get funding. We need money for this. Right? What do we do when, when we look at, oh, there's a problem in other places of the world? Get out the checkbook. doesn't matter the bank account's empty. Get out the checkbook. We're going to solve this with money. And then finally, what's this word dominion? It is the power of lordship. It is the one who possesses dominion. All this is in the setup of coming into where we are today. Look at Genesis 1.26. It says, Then God said, Let us make man in our image according to our likeness. Let them who man who God created, have dominion. And in verse 28, then God blessed them after he's created them and says this, and God said to them, that is man, man, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth, subdue it, have dominion. You see that Adam in his disobedience surrendered his dominion to Satan in the garden. Considering last week's passage, Adam did not lay down his life for Eve. When Christ lays down his life for the church, Jesus is the true Adam. 
He is resurrected and he ascended to rule over all things. And all things are put back as it should have been with man ruling and having dominion. Consider these implications for us from Ephesians chapter 2, beginning in verse 4. But God, who is rich in mercy because of his love with which he loved, even when we were dead in trespass, made us alive together with Christ. By the grace you have been saved, and raised up together, and made us sit together, where? In heavenly places, in Christ Jesus. That, in what? The ages to come, he might show the exceeding riches of his grace, his kindness towards us, in Christ Jesus. So we see that in our obedience from Ephesians chapter 5, to see the, for the fruit of the Spirit is all goodness, righteousness, and truth. The things we do in our everyday life in bringing about unity, forgiveness, care for others, and submission to Christ and to each other in all of the areas that we do things. This is what brings dominion. We should hear from Romans chapter 16, verse 19, for your obedience has become known to all. Therefore, I am glad on your behalf, but I want you to be wise in what is good and simple concerning evil. And the God of peace will do what? Crush Satan under your feet shortly. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Amen. And so in, in Paul's letter to the church in Rome, he says that your obedience in the things that God is asking you to do has become known to all. And I am glad because of this. And he says, the God of peace will crush Satan under your feet. You see this connection to Genesis? The enmity, the crushing of Satan. The defeat of Satan is in our obedience towards him in our relationships every single day. Now, in fact, we do have an enemy. Again, think of Ephesians 6. And finally, brethren, be strong in the Lord and the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. What are these wiles? It's the cunning arts. It's deceit. It's the craft and trickery of deception. Now, one thing we can rest assured right now, don't you worry there are all kinds of investigations going in the world today to figure out why things happen. So we, we, we need to recognize, we need to recognize, people of God, that these wiles, these deceptions, they're all man-made attempts. Perhaps supported, perhaps the idea whispered by the devil, but... but Ultimately, all of this comes to nothing because it is, it is mankind trying to resolve his own, pro, his own problems. And what is and who is the devil? He is the slanderer and false accuser. Now, he's already been defeated by Jesus Christ. Jesus has already ascended to the throne. We know from earlier in Ephesians, like we already read, that we've ascended with him. We've been raised up. We've been put beside him at the right hand of the Father. 
And it's important that we recognize that we don't wrestle, that is to struggle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of darkness of this age, and against spiritual hosts of wickedness in heavenly places. Now all of that to say is we just went through a number of verses that point out that these principalities and powers, these aren't, aren't some great horde of demons above us preventing us from spreading the gospel and from growing in Christ. That's not what this is. This is about people who rage against God. You see, the darkness, when confronted with the light of the gospel, so this darkness, when confronted with the light of the gospel, it flees. Remember what is said in Ephesians 5, 8, For you were once darkness. We were part of that darkness. But now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of the light. Again, for the fruit of the Spirit is in all goodness, righteousness, and truth. But all things that are exposed, this is verse 13 now, but all things that are exposed are made manifest by the light, for whatever makes manifest is light. Sin and those who love sin are darkness. And now the people of God are no longer darkness. We are no longer darkness, but we have been transformed to be the light by the work of Jesus Christ. All of this brings us to stand, withstand, and stand therefore. Again, we're to put on the whole armor of God that we may be able to stand. We are to take up in verse 13 the whole armor of God that we may be able to withstand. And then we're to withstand, to stand, and then stand. To stand is to cause a person or a thing to keep its place, to be firm and immovable. A lot of times we think that that battle is confrontation. Like I'm going to get out and I'm going to hit you. I'm going to hit you with the truth. I'm going to hit you. I'm going to hit you. How about standing firm on God's word and obedience to him? And what? He brings the victory. We stand firm and he'll bring this victory. We need to think of this in relationship to this armor. He's about to go through this listing of the armor. And I just want to say a couple of things. The hearers of this would have thought of the Roman armor. And so the order of this is somewhat important, okay, because of how this armor goes together. In verse 14 of Ephesians 6, Stand therefore, having girded your waist with truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness, having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace, above all, taking the shield of faith with which you will be able to quench the fiery darts, that is, to put out the accusations and slander against God and King Jesus. People of God, we get too worried about slander against us. Don't sweat that. Pray about the slander against King Jesus. And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Let's briefly consider these things, the belt of truth. We know that in John 14, 6, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Jesus is this truth. It is the belt in which everything else is going to rest upon. That Those Roman soldiers, they put on that belt, and, and the breastplate of righteousness has to sit on the belt. Otherwise, it's too heavy and awkward. It needs the support of the truth. But it is, in fact, Jesus. We see in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 10, And with all unrighteousness and deception among those who perish, because they did not receive the love of the truth, that they might be saved. You see, salvation, forgiveness of sins, comes from 
first the truth, and the truth is Jesus, the Word. The breastplate of righteousness, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 30 says, But of him you are in Christ Jesus, who became for us the wisdom from God, and righteousness and sanctification and redemption. It's not our righteousness. It is Christ's righteousness that comes upon us. This is important. This is Christ's righteousness. This is, if, if you recognize this, it's not us. It's not our righteousness. It's not our goodness. It is Christ's. God is clothing us with Jesus, the belt of truth, with Jesus' righteousness. We see that the feet are shod, that is to have to bind to oneself. We are to bind to ourselves the preparation, that's readiness of the gospel of peace. That's good tidings of the kingship of Jesus. That is the gospel. Peace. Now this is interesting. What is this gospel? The tranquil estate of the soul, assured of its salvation through Christ. And so, fearing nothing from God and content with its earthly lot, whatever sort that it is. It's an interesting definition of peace. We are, because of the work of God choosing us and Jesus coming and dying for us, salvation and righteousness comes to us and it's put on us and our feet are bound up to bring that good news that God is God over all. And there is tranquil state. There is a peaceful state. Because we are assured in Christ. And so we don't have to fear God anymore because of the work of Jesus Christ. And because God has done this thing for us, we can be content whatever is going on in our lives. We see that the shield of faith, that it comes from God, Colossians chapter 2, verse 11, in him you were also circumcised with the circumcision made without hands. That is God's hand. By putting off the body of sins of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ, being buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith. So who did this? It's the hands of God who brought us faith. In the working of God who raised him from the dead, and you being dead in your trespasses and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, he who made us alive, he, God, has made us alive together with him, having forgiven all your trespasses, having wiped out the handwriting of the requirements that was against us, which was contrary to us. And he has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross. People of God, what joy we have that God did these things. Because you know what? We've all been there where we tried to work out ourselves We've tried to create our own ideas. This is the whole thing about the kings who are raging. They're coming up with their own ideas to deal with sin and guilt and regret. They're searching for their own ways of peace. But this gift of peace comes from God. And what is this for? Remember Colossians 2.15, having disarmed the principalities and powers, and that he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them. This is really important. Listen, in Philippians chapter 1, verse 27, it reminds us something about the shield. Now, these Roman shields, again, you've probably all seen this maybe in movies or in books. What happens with those shields? If you're standing there, you're holding the shield, and it kind of comes up and protects you with a little bit of edge on the angle. 
But, but that doesn't protect your sides or your back or your top. What did they do with those shields? They would stand together, lock those shields together, become a wall when necessary, become a box when necessary, covered together. They called that the, the turtle maneuver, where they were covered all the way around on all sides. We have faith together. The church, we are together. Philippians chapter 1, verse 27 says, Only let your conduct be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come to see you or am absent, I may hear of your affairs, that you stand fast in one spirit. And he's talking to there in Philippians, he's speaking to the whole church. And he says that we need to stand fast in one spirit, one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel. These shields interlock. People of God, God has given us the faith, and then he says, get together. Be the people of God together. We can stand. We can be of one mind. And why do we do all this? Because faith, the faith that God gives us, that we have and that we stand together, we will be able to quench all the fiery darts. That is, to put out all the accusations and slander against God and King Jesus. Finally, we see that he says, put on the helmet of salvation. Again, this is a gift from God. A lot of times we think the salvation is mine. But consider Psalm 51.12. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me by your generous spirit. We also see it in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 4. Just as he chose him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him, having predestined us, to adoption by sons of Christ to himself according to the good pleasure of his will. This salvation came from God. He planned it. Psalm chapter 3 verse 8 says salvation belongs to the Lord and your blessing is upon your people. And salvation in, all of this brings us to what? It is for the salvation in discipling the nations. We see in Revelation, beginning in chapter 7, verses 9 and 10, it says this. This is the purpose. Remember, God is clothing us. He's putting all this armor on that we may bring the gospel to the world. And it says this in Revelation 7, verses 9 and 10. After these things I looked, and behold, a great multitude, which no one could number, of all nations, tribes, peoples, and tongues, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed with white robes and with palm branches in their hands and crying out with a loud voice saying salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the lamb what a blessing it is God's salvation that he has given us we see the sword of the spirit is the word of God John chapter 1 verse 1 in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God he was in the beginning with God all things were made through him Without him, nothing was made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. And the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. People of God, God is not just giving us some kind of armor. He is, in fact, clothing us with himself. God gives himself to us. And we have the victory by being clothed with the King of kings and the Lord of lords. 
The battle is for the gospel and the discipling of the nations. One out in worship and daily faithful living as he taught us. Again, God's gift to us is himself. And further, as I mentioned earlier, he's given us each other. Paul closes this letter to the church in Ephesus. All this talk about armor and battle and defeat and the kingship of Lord Jesus Christ. And he, he brings it by saying, Praying always with all prayer and supplication, that is, bringing those requests in the Spirit, being watchful to this end, with all perseverance and supplication for all the saints and for me. So Paul then goes from this battleground, and he says, okay, now I, I need you to pray. I need you to pray for all the saints and for me. And what is he praying about? What is the purpose of this gospel? <clears throat> Excuse me, what is the purpose of, of the, the battle that we're in? It is so that the gospel may go forth. Because he says this, he says, Pray for the saints and for me that the utterance, that is, the words that I have, may be given to me, that I may open my mouth boldly to make known the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in change, that in it I may speak boldly as I ought to speak. So again, all of this armor, all this gift that he gives to us is so that we may preach the gospel and he says all this he closes out and then says but that you also may know my affairs and he, he just talks about how he's sending another minister uh, Tychius a beloved brother and he says he'll make all things known to you and I've sent him for this purpose that you may know our affairs and that he may comfort your hearts because Paul knows that he is coming down to the end of his life and then He closes the book off with echoes of the very beginning of the book with peace and love and faith. And so I would say to you, as it was in the beginning, so it shall always be. Ephesians 1.1, it says, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the will of God to the saints who are in Ephesus and faithful in Christ Jesus, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. And at the very end, he says, peace to the brethren, and love with faith from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace be with all those who love our Lord Jesus Christ in sincerity. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we humbly give thanks to you that you have given yourself to us so that we may be clothed for the calling we have as your united people. Please empower us, your church, this body of saints, to stand in the power of grace bestowed upon us through the work of your Son, Jesus Christ, to be faithful in worship and our daily lives, so that what it says in Psalm 67, where it declares your mercies to us, blessings to us, that your face will shine upon us so that your way may be known on the earth and your salvation among all nations. In your Son's holy name, Jesus. Amen. peace of Christ be with you. And also with you.